You are listening to the Testudo Times Podcast Network. What's up, guys? This is Andrew Terrell coming at you live from Indianapolis, Indiana. Uh, I'm going to start doing a couple solo uh, Q&As every couple weeks to keep you guys uh, entertained as much as I possibly can. Um, you guys have sent in a ton of questions, and I want to get those things answered. And I feel like this is the easiest way. I'm currently driving home from looking at my buddy, uh, John McShark Dawson. Uh, he just got a new house. It's it's incredible. Shout out him. Shout out 75 Block. However, let's jump right into these questions. Uh, I'll just go straight to the Instagram, read them out. So the first one was, what, what are the struggles of being a high-level D1 athlete that most people don't see? Like, what's practice like, um, travel, logistics, and school? So contrary to popular belief, you actually had to do schoolwork. Uh, we, we didn't get any grades. We weren't given uh, time extensions unless we traveled. So teachers were not handing us anything, but they were lenient to work around our schedules a little bit. Because for, for all of us, you can't choose if you travel somewhere. I mean, it's not like I can't, you know, if I can't go up to Turgeon and be like, hey, man, I'm not I'm not coming this week. It's not a thing. You know, you sign up for something, you do it. And, uh, you know, they, they, they help us out there as teachers. Uh, when it comes to travel, whenever you have an away trip, you hop on a bus in the loading dock at Maryland. Everybody charter or heads to the airport. Uh, BWI and we go to the chartered area we get off the bus and immediately walk on everybody has assigned seats now they're not assigned from Turgeon or the plane crew they're assigned once you sit your ass in that seat it's yours for the year don't move you better choose wisely Um, somehow I got a really good seat every single year of my career Uh, as as a junior and senior I mean that was just a given there was absolutely no chance I was taking a you know, a seat up by one of our assistant coaches. Not that I didn't like them, but, you know, I'm not trying to sit there and watch film with those guys all day. That's all they do. They sit there and they fucking watch film. Uh, but anyway, once you get off the plane or you land in, in the city that you're heading to, you immediately get on a bus and you go to the gym and you do a shoot around. Uh, it's nothing major. You just get used to the rims, all that stuff. Uh, that night we usually go, we stretch in one of the hotel ballrooms and then, you know, we go to sleep. Uh, we're all friends. We just kind of all hang out and, you know, chill. It's not like we're leaving the hotel or anything. Next morning you wake up early, you got breakfast, you got film, you got walkthrough, you go, you do a, a real shoot around, um, scouting and all that type of stuff. You come back, you have your pregame meal, then you go play the game. Right after the game, you drive straight to the airport and you head home. doesn't matter what time it is. And that's a very typical road trip. Um, one, of the, one of the worst road trips I ever had, actually I've got two. When we played at North Carolina, probably the coolest moment of my life. However, when we played at North Carolina my freshman year, is number three versus number eight, huge game. We get on the plane heading to UNC, and out of nowhere, I just have explosive diarrhea. Brewing. So I'm not about to go on a plane. Uh, I couldn't do it. There's no way I would ever do it. 
shout out Jake Lehman. He blew plain bathrooms up more regularly than, you know, regular bathrooms. But I wasn't going on a bus either when we landed. So I've got two and a half hours of just straight deadlock hold on on stuff that, that shouldn't be held. Uh, so we get to the gym, UNC, and I run into the nearest bathroom I could find. Turns out it's the referee bathroom. No chance I'm flushing. Um, you know, I'm hoping the refs think UNC's doing it to them and not, not the Terps, and we'll get a couple more calls. But I walk out of the bathroom after laying that, and I got some gray-haired dude walking slow as fuck in front of me. I'm like, come on, man. Like, get put put a little juice in the legs, man. Get a little energy rocking. Anyway, the dude's walking slow, but I'm not about to pass him. It's, it's a small enough hallway that you just got to bite the bullet. You got to walk just as slow as the old man. And then as you walk into the area where you start seeing the gym, it opens up, you know, a pretty good amount and you start seeing the gym. You see the uh, powder blue and it overwhelms you when you see it the first time at Carolina. And I think that's why they get a lot of recruits. But right when I saw it, I said, holy Jesus. And the gray haired dude that was walking slow as hell turns around and he says, you like that? Because I built that shit. Turns out the gray haired dude's fucking coach Roy Williams. Legend. And we start shooting the shit a little bit. I let him know that he needs a wheelchair and a walker. Um, and as I'm walking away, he says, hey, great talking to you. Um, I'm very excited for the game tomorrow, Andrew. And I kind of just stopped, sat there, and I paused and thought, you got to be shitting me. This dude knows the 15th dude on the roster by name and face. I didn't introduce myself. He knew me by name because that's what legends do. That's what coaches do. They know every single person on a roster. And he didn't just know my stats or my jersey number. He knew me by face. Right when he said that, I just, you know, I had so much respect for that shit. Few people would even care to look down a roster past eight. The dude knew 15 sitting on the end with a towel around his neck. By face. I mean, if that if that doesn't shout mad respect, I don't know what does. Um, but yeah, that's that's a typical that's a typical road trip. Uh, maybe not, you know, me shitting on myself. However, Michigan State, my sophomore year, we were heading to Michigan State. Maybe my junior year, um, had a weird feeling. Fart ended up shitting myself. Had to sit on the plane butt naked. And not many people can say they've chartered to uh, Michigan State and even less people can say they've chartered to Michigan State butt naked because they shit themselves as a 22 year old man so you know shit happens uh, I got another question that said thoughts on Mitchell Twins leaving uh, I know it's kind of fresh slash sensitive but really surprised me big hit to our depth uh, Mitchell Twins left because of their own attitude issues there was no fight there was no you know huge breakup they wanted to transfer because they're babies that's plain and simple I'm not calling I actually really like the Mitchell twins like a lot but they had attitude issues and Turgeon's not going to put up with that uh, they came to him about I'm assuming they came to him about transferring and Turgeon's not going to sit there and get on his knees and beg you know 
that no coach ever should. If you don't want to help us win games, you don't have to help us win games. You can transfer and, and go somewhere else. Um, however, I'm not I'm not sure that it hurts our depth at all. Mostly because I th- I'm a big believer that you play your your best sec- six players and you play a seventh sparingly. But that's just me. I'm also, you know, I'm not a D1 coach. I've, I've got no clue what that would do to a, to a player's legs. However, you don't play an NBA schedule. You play maybe once or twice a week. If you can't play 38 minutes as a high, you know, level D1 player, then what really, what really are you doing? Um, another question we got was, is Turgeon still a top 10 coach? If not, what changed besides the team's ranking? I'm not sure how to answer that. Clearly, the offense is stalled. I mean, that's just clear. However, if you look at turnovers, 90% of the turnovers are in transition. What is there to teach in transition other than run your lanes and then pray to God that your players are competent enough to make the right play. And for whatever reason, against Seton Hall, they weren't competent enough to make the right play. Usually, Maryland's really good in transition. However, they sucked against Seton Hall. If they convert all of their you know, points in transition or even 50% or have dead ball turnovers where you're not just giving it to a team and they are running in transition, they win that game by 10 plus. So I understand it looked bad and I get, you know, run more plays, all that. But a lot of that was just transition offense. The defense looks great. They scouted really well. Their best two players weren't in there, but that made Seton Hall a better defensive team. I don't know what play you would draw up to score on that team right there. Because what do you want? You want a layup? Because that's going to be a layup over a contested seven-footer. Okay, do you want an open three? Well, that relies on your player hitting an open shot. And neither was happening that night. And, you know, sometimes I think the coach takes too much blame. However, it, it was a pretty, pretty piss-poor performance. I mean, it was a tough game to watch, truly. Uh, another question I had was, you ever observed two MD players go at it? go at each other harder than Steve Blake and John Gilchrist. Uh, no, Steve Blake's absolutely insane. I've met him a couple times and he's, he's a great dude, but when he gets on a court, he's crazy. And that's why he was so good. Um, have I ever seen somebody fight? Yes. I have two stories that I will tell, you know, later on, one of which was probably the craziest story at, at Maryland for me. Um, but no, in practice, I never saw anybody get sucker punched or, you know, punched in the face, anything like that. I had another question about who the most toxic player I ever played with at Maryland was. And I didn't really know how to answer that because there was nobody that was toxic to the team. Uh, some people were detrimental to themselves. So like, say, Diamond Stone, he was one of the most talented players I've ever played with. But he was so detrimental to himself. So here's a quick Diamond Stone story for you. We are in the summer going into my freshman year. And it's a summer practice. It's not mandatory. Coach Turden's on the the road recruiting. And we all go in for, you know, just a workout. 
Well, Diamond shows up 15 minutes late. Shows up 15 minutes late, shoes untied, shirt untucked. So he runs in there and, you know, he's lollygagging around. And the assistant coach that I was sitting next to said, what are you doing, man? Like, hurry up, get in the drill, let's go. So Diamond kind of giggles. He always did this thing where he would giggle uh, if he ever got yelled at. Uh, nobody knows why. It's just, uh, it's just how he was. He was immature. But he ran in there. He caught the ball. He takes two dribbles, not stretched, and his shoes were untied. And I mean just pummels the rim. And the assistant coach looks over at me and he just goes, that's why he's allowed to be fucking late. And it was just like, holy shit, this guy has so much talent. But he had no idea how to use it. He was just an immature guy, and um, it ended up obviously hurting him in the end. He could have been a really good NBA player. Uh, he had all the skills. Uh, when I think back to who was the least toxic uh, to themselves, I'd probably say Kevin, Jake, and Bruno. They brought it every single day. They never argued with anybody, um, and they just did anything to win. And those three have the most successful careers out of anybody I played with. So. If you look at it that way, you know, maybe everybody was a little toxic to themselves. But in terms of being detrimental to the team, nobody really was. I had somebody ask me um, who, was, who had the most clutch game performances. And I think it's safe to say Melo was at the top of that list. Uh, if he had a game winner against Michigan State, he had a game winner against... Wisconsin, and he was also just that guy that no matter what happened, you could always rely on him to get a bucket. Um, even in the tournament, I remember we're in a huddle once, and it's against Hawaii, and we can't throw the ball in the ocean. And Coach Turgeon looks at Mellon and says, the next shot you take, it's good. I think it would be the first three of the game that we would hit. And Mellon came down on the left wing in the second half, and just buried it. And you can see Coach Turden's reaction. But you can see everybody else's reaction. We all knew that ball was going in. Um, he was a guy that we could count on. I think, I think clutch performances, I think, to Jake Lehman. He had a huge stretch at the end of his senior season uh, that he just was killing people. And then Anthony Cowan, uh, if you go look at some of his best shots, he hit so many threes at the end of shot clocks. He bails us out of a ton of situations. Uh, so I played with a bunch of really clutch players. However, it, Mello has to take the cake. Um, he, he really was that good. He was that good in practice. He was a great teammate. And he kind of just stepped up in huge moments. Um, somebody asked me why I think Maryland basketball struggles so mightily in the first half. I have no clue. I'm not going to lie. And I'm with you guys. It's unbearable. Everybody can agree it's unbearable. Uh, there's nothing worse than just knowing that Maryland's going to lose the first half or at least be down in the first half until about the seven-minute mark when they start making their move or, or if they even wake up. Um, the only thing it's good for is you can always hammer the opposing team in the first half. You know, they'll always cover that spread. But it is a weird thing, and it's it's happening too often. And when you get into Big Ten play and you start slow on the road, you're not coming back from those games. So I am hoping that they implement something to 
wake them the fuck up early. But sometimes that's just like, that's just your players taking ownership. I mean, Turgeon can't wake somebody up for him. Uh, some of these guys need to go out there with a little urgency. I think Anthony needs to start shooting the ball more um, in the first half. He always comes up clutch. But if he would just start the games the way he finishes most, he'd, games would be over before they start. Um, but to answer that question directly, truly I don't know. I'm a, I like pressure. I think you should be more run and jump. Uh, I think you should shoot the ball quicker. But, but I have no idea. Like, I really don't know what I would do if I was Coach Turgeon to try to get people to wake up. Um, the key to the whole thing is Daryl. If he feels like playing, it's a really, really good game. You know, like Marcus Howard, everybody said he was going to give him 40. Daryl went out there and he shut him down. But Daryl doesn't feel that every single time. Daryl doesn't need to wake up for no gel Eastern, you know, or wake up. Now, if he would have played Miles Powell against Seton Hall, that game's completely different. Daryl's in it from the start. The whole team's in it from the start. I think that was a trap game and a half. Uh, But to answer the question, I just don't know. And I want to keep answering all these questions. Uh, I I didn't answer about 25 to 30, but I'm going to keep coming out with you know, 15 minute or t- minutes or so of content each, you know, every couple weeks of just me being solo, answering questions, telling stories. So please continue, you know, giving me questions because I'm going to get to every single one. Um, I'm going to leave you guys with this story. We're at Michigan State my freshman year. Uh, we used to do, well, I used to do this thing where I would do a rainbow kick with the basketball. And I'd kind of sit there and juggle, and then I'd kick it to Jake Lehman in the corner for a three. This time, for whatever reason, I airmailed Jake by about 30 to 40 feet, which would be about 15 rows up into the stands. And Nike basketballs, if you've ever played with one, are not cushioned at all. Um, So the ball ends up going about 15 rows up and absolutely pummeling this guy in the face. Dude ends up getting a bloody nose. As the ball's traveling, I turn around because I don't want him to think I did it. I, I know that sounds like a, you know, a, a baby move, but I was trying to get him to think Jake did it. So I turn around, I walk away, and two seconds later, the guy's at the bottom of the stairs trying to come onto the court to fight me. Um, and he's, he's asking everybody, who did it, who did it? And all the fans, you know, whoever saw it was like, it's, the, it's blah, blah, blah. Ends up security drags this guy out. He's got a bloody nose and he gets thrown out of the game before it starts. All because, you know, I airmailed Jake in the corner. Now, in hindsight, I probably should have gone over there and helped him out. You know, told the security guy it's my fault. I accidentally hit the dude. But then, you know, he's a Michigan State fan. Why the hell would I ever do that? So I watched him leave. I'm sitting there laughing to myself, watching him go. And the whole time, all I'm thinking is, this is karma. We're fucked. There's no way we win this game. We're we're screwed. We end up losing, and I walk over to Jake. and He's just like, dude, that was 1,000% karma. I mean, 
That's all it is. All I had to do was go over there and apologize, and we probably win that game. But instead, I watched him bleed as he was walking out. Um, yeah, so I'm going to leave you guys with that story. Keep giving questions. I'll give you answers as much as I possibly can. Um, yeah, so until next time, this is Andrew Terrell. I'll see you later.